Hello, everyone. My name is Dr. Brian Thatcher, and welcome to Mercy Unbound. Today, I get to speak with Marlene Watkins. She'd written a beautiful book on Lourdes titled 20 Everyday Miracles of Lourdes. She's actually the founder of the North American Volunteers for Lourdes program and uh, is frequently visiting there to uh, assist all the pilgrims that come to Lourdes. It's a beautiful book. I hope you enjoy the show, and uh, please share and subscribe, and have a wonderful day. Hello, everyone. My name is Dr. Brian Thatcher, and welcome to Mercy Unbound. It's a show that aims to provide hope and avenue for healing, and one that will help you live and better understand the great mercy of God. With me today, I have Marlene Watkins. She's the founder of Our Lady of Lords Hospitality Volunteers of North America. We're going to talk about Our Lady and Bernadette and 20 miracles from her book, Everyday Miracles of Lords. 20 extraordinary experiences along the way to the grotto. You know, so many people are looking for hope. So many people wonder if God really exists. So many People think they've done so many things wrong that God could never forgive them and love them. And today we're going to talk about that, Marlene. It's just a great honor for me to have you on the show today. Well, thank you so much to have us. And we love any time we can talk about the graces we've had the privilege to witness at Lourdes. You know, Marlene, your book is available, of course, at Amazon. But I uh, suggest you go to EWTNCatalog.com. All the profits from the book go to help the North American volunteers. And Marlene's book just really speaks to the beauty of Our Lady and the gifts that she gives people, healings, not just medical healings, but even more importantly, the spiritual healings. And, and your own stories in the book. And, and that I was reading that, kind of got knocked my socks off a little bit, I have to say, when you told me what happened with you at Lourdes. Um, could you, let's just start out and tell us how you got involved with Lourdes. Well, I, I think I'm a pretty typical Catholic, American Catholic anyway. We don't have all of the apparitions like Lourdes and Fatima and all. There's so many famous apparitions throughout Europe. And um, now we're so blessed. We have, of course, Wisconsin and Guadalupe and Mexico is pretty well known. But it was mostly when I was growing up that was mostly in Spanish. So I didn't have a real strong awareness of the different apparitions, like all the different statues of Our Lady. I just thought she had a lot of, you know, a big wardrobe, lots of dresses. I didn't understand that that's how she appeared in different places. So when my best friend had her business card plucked out of a fishbowl, I'm sure for a large pharmaceutical company, and she won two tickets anywhere in Europe, um, she chose Lourdes. And I said, I love that story with the three little children. And of course, that's Fatima, especially now with World Youth Day, having been there um, in this year, that we know that that's uh, Our Lady of Fatima. But when I look back on it, I thought, oh, that's right. I did know more. I knew about Our Lady of Fatima. That's the only one I really knew about besides Our Lady of Guadalupe. Um, so I had heard of Lourdes, but I just didn't remember it. So um, she had chosen that. And that's how little I knew about Lourdes. So I really went there with a clean slate. I didn't know anything about it. And I really did realize that my friend chose that because miracles happen there and she was hoping for a miracle for me. So um, I look back at that now and I think there's just so loaded with grace. And I think that's typical for all of us. We kind of unfold or unpack these beautiful little details as we grow in our faith or as time goes by, we we realize, you know, the magnitude of so many little things woven together to make the beautiful fabric of uh, the graces that we need. Now, you were struggling in your own right uh, when you went to Fatima, weren't you? Or Fatima, the Lord's, I mean. Uh, yes. <laughs> it's the same lady. It's just a different yeah, dress. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's what I say. And um, yeah, so um, I didn't really know what agoraphobia was. Um but it's where someone really is limited or constrained, self-imposed. For me, it was by fear or, you know, anxiety where pretty much they just stopped going out or stopped being involved or stopped, you know, 
to stop their normal activities of life. And that had happened to me. I'd had, uh, I'd been assaulted and eventually it just became too complicated for me to go out. I would be so stressed and have such anxiety that I, one time I, I just, you know, more than one time, but one time in particular, I knew where we lived. I just couldn't remember how to get there. And that's just when, and I know you're a physician, but, but the fear and anxiety can so overwhelm. People think they're actually having heart attacks when it's actually a panic attack. And it's really hard, to, I'm sure, to tell the difference for me. I You're just so consumed by that. And so I pretty much kind of distilled my world down to just staying at home and, and in my yard and uh, didn't really go out much. So when my friend said, let's, you know, I won these tickets, let's go to Lourdes. Um, you know, I, I couldn't imagine I would actually go there. My brother actually said, my little brother said, you know, that he thought it was the planning of it that was the grace for me that I had this vicarious plan to go to these holy places and in Europe, but um, they didn't really believe I'd have it. Matter of fact, my second oldest son made a little pool, like where you could take a square, like at the Super Bowl. And it was like, would I leave the driveway? Would I, would I go into the airport? Would I get on the plane? Nobody bought the square. They were $1. Nobody bought the little square, the imaginary square uh, that I would actually go because nobody believed it. And, and I guess, including me, but there was a great grace in it. I was with my best friend and I had had this compelling desire to see the Holy Father with my own eyes. And unless he came in my living room, that really wasn't going to happen. But um, I just had this I just felt compelled and I was with my best friend. I was in an assigned seat on a plane, the only two in a row. And, you know, I, I just felt we could hide that. I wouldn't know anybody in Europe. They wouldn't know me. Nobody would maybe assault me there because they didn't know me. So I, I somehow, and that's the real graces that I, that I made it there. It's the first initial big, big graces. She won the tickets and then we actually go. And then of course the, the, extraordinary grace is waiting for me in the baths at Lourdes. And so I, we, um, and for anybody who's been to Lourdes, I know for, you know, for years, you would just wait in line forever and to get, try to get in there for hours, for days. And so we waited for, you know, got there very early and waited for hours. And um, I went into the baths and nobody was speaking English. My best friend went to a different bath and um, I went inside and I just, floated out of there. I mean, it was just, I was at such peace and so calm. I describe it, it's like being wrapped in a cashmere blanket of just total grace. And I just floated out of there. And I didn't realize it at the time, but I didn't have fear. I was no longer terrified. I was outside waiting for my friend. And I just felt like I was in this bubble of total peacefulness. And um, it made it a huge impact in my life. I was, I still don't like crowds before crowds never bothered me. And then when I became an agoraphobic, I couldn't, I couldn't go anywhere near a crowd. I couldn't go where there were people, but, um, and I still don't like them, but I can tolerate them. I can go in them. I can go around them. I can go through them, but I just, I just don't care for them anymore. But that's a big difference from, I can't go out of my front door. <laughs> so there was a huge huge difference. And when I came home, nobody believed it, actually. They all thought it was just some kind of a uh, religiosity or, you know, I was some kind of a glow of uh, nobody knew. I didn't even know what a pilgrimage was. I thought that was Thanksgiving time pilgrims. So nobody really believed it, but it stayed. And um, it stayed. Even doctors said to me, there is no cure for the PTSD. There is no cure for what you have. Um, but I, I, in a grace, I, here I am. I'm still still out there you know while you were speaking i was thinking of an interview i did with sister from uh, fatima a year ago and she had written a book uh, under the under the light about jacinta said when the blessed mother came that she radiated this light and they were so close to her that they were actually under the light and i, and I was thinking of you you talked about the bubble but you were under our lady's light and continue to do that and, and love that expression your, you know, it, it it's a beautiful thought, but then what happened next? Like you're the started our Lady of uh, Lords Volunteers for North America. How did that unfold? Well, and I love what you said under that light. I was so excited when you said that because I we use the expression that we're always under the gaze 
of Our Lady. In other words, she's looking upon us, even when I'm home here or flying on the plane, wherever it might be, for any of us, even those who don't go to Lourdes, we can pray. And like Bernadette would say, she closes her eyes and she imagines she's in the grotto. So she says, I go there every day in my heart when she left for religious life later. So all of us can close our eyes and place ourselves in the grotto and be under her gaze and take that she can we can be under her watchful eye the maternal love wherever we are but so I returned a year later with two women that I love that we were just you know they have to have the same kind of grace that I have that they they need help they need a healing they need a miracle and so again I didn't buy this ticket so this is two times I go to Lourdes and I don't um, pay for it so that's another miracle in itself and um, money can't be the obstacle to this grace and it never is so we wind up um, back in Lourdes and with these two women and we wait in line unbelievably it's four days from the day we land until the day we're about to leave the next day we would get in line in the morning um, at lunchtime they would shut down we'd get back in line again and then we'd be there until the end of that we never saw or did much of anything in Lourdes because we were always in line for the baths and on the fourth day I um, got out of the queue, they call it, the line, and I begged the man if you would please make a way for them to come in. I'd already been the year before. I'd had a grace. I, I was grateful for that. Someone else could have my place, but could these two women go in? And through a different series of events, some of a little comical, they wind up that they take me inside to help. So I thought everybody worked there like employees. I didn't realize all the women inside the baths, all the men that are on the other side of the helping the men in, that they were all volunteers. I didn't understand any of that. Um, and there wasn't anybody speaking English. So um, in another grace, I wind up inside the baths and it's about a seven, seven and a half hour shift, which is really unusual. It's actually the record number of women bathed in the history of Lourdes, Ascension Thursday, 2001. And so um, but I don't know any of these things. I'm just trying to do what they show me. I don't speak Italian and the women in that piscine were Italian speakers. That's another unusual thing. Usually there's somebody from each language of the team of six or eight that are inside helping. Um, but they decided to make it by language to try to help these record number of women inside. And I don't speak any Italian. And I was trying to understand them. And it was it was a challenge for them and for me. But what was most important was the women that were coming in. And 50% of them on average speak English as a first or second language. So the value of me being there was that I could speak English for them and the Italian women could not. So there was the help on the one side, but a hindrance to them to have me on the other. Um, and, you know, a lot of things happened during the shift. And the two women did come in, um, you know, statistically, the odds of two women separately coming into the number four bath that I was in, it's pretty rare that they both came in. And that's where the international language of Lords comes in, you know, love. I saw them, I cried, they cried, and the woman knew right away, the tears spoke everything more than words. She allowed me to bathe both these women. The one woman um, comes back to the church after uh, 15 years uh, away in the church in a non-Christian religion and um, still living her Catholic faith. The other woman comes back to the sacrament of confession after 25 years after leaving the baths. And um, she dies with a miraculous medal pinned over her heart um, that she wore every day after she left Lourdes. So we knew there were these extraordinary graces from that. Um, and at the end of the shift, I'm trying to tell the ladies, I'm sorry for the things I didn't know and the, you know, um, the things I didn't understand and that I didn't speak Italian, but I couldn't even tell them that. So the only two words I knew were pizza and pasta, which was of no help inside the baths. And this woman came by and she had the badge that had all the flags of the countries where she spoke the language. And I reached out to her and I said, oh, do you speak Italian and English? I could see the flag. She said, yes. I said, oh, could you translate for me? And so I said, could you please thank them for all that they showed me and, you know, how gracious they were. So she thanked me. I said, could you please tell them I'm so sorry for the mistakes I made and not understanding, you know, um, them or what I was to do. And she apologizes. And, you know, at that point, they they say, you know, wear your badge tomorrow. And I said, oh, I don't work here. None of them do. But they could have said to me, how did you get in here? You shouldn't be here. They could have told me that I wasn't qualified. I didn't get the training. I I didn't have a letter from a priest saying it was trustworthy. Um, I, I didn't register all these. They could have said so many things. It took me five years, Brian, to figure this out. Five years later, I thought, oh my goodness, it's such a grace. They were so exhausted and so tired because they'd been there in the morning shift when I was waiting in line. And then the seven hour shift in the afternoon, 
and eat early evening. Instead, they said, wait a minute, did you get a bath? So they thought of me right away. And I said, oh, no. And they said, oh, stop. And they reopened bath number four that they were closing so I could have a bath. And so I, I don't know about anybody else, but I have this tendency. I still do it. I have to catch myself that I make this list for God as if God needs a list from me. You know, um, I need this. I need that. She needs this. He needs that. So I've been in line for four days praying that we need this. We need that. I need this. He needs it. She needs this. And here I'd had this list. It's like going to confession. You got this long list of sins and then you get inside. The father, you know, makes the side of the cross and oh, you can't think of a thing. All of a sudden you're a saint. You just can't remember. So I... I'm, I was there with my eyes closed, praying and getting ready. And I couldn't think of a thing. And I said, you know, God, whatever grace I'm in greatest need of, because I, I knew God knew best in that, in that moment. And when I opened my eyes, there was a man standing in front of me. And for any of you who've been in the baths at Lourdes, you know that the women only on the women's side, and it's men only on the men's side. There's never a man standing in the women's baths um, the way that the baths have been done for all this time. Of course, now with COVID, there's some differences that have taken place. But um, so there was a man standing there and I was shocked that he was there when I opened my eyes because he wasn't there when I closed my eyes to pray. But I knew who he was right away. He had broken into the apartment when I was babysitting as a very young teenager, the age of Bernadette. And um, when she was in the grotto and I wasn't afraid of him, I had been so terrified of him um, all of my life, but especially young, um, he had broken the apartment to do something that wasn't good, of course. Um, and he threatened to kill my family if I told the police. And um, when the police came, I was terrified. I wouldn't, you know, do anything because I, I was afraid he would kill my family. I really believed it. Um, and so here he is standing there. You'd think I'd be angrier or terrified. Now I'm an adult and he's the same age, of course, at the time, um, all those years ago, that didn't occur to me that, but there he was. But instead I was more overwhelmed that there was this grace just whoosh. It was flooding out of me and it was just washing over him. And it was, I just wanted him to go to heaven. I hear this man had had such a damaging effect on my life. I thought I can't get married in the Catholic church. I can't wear a white wedding dress. And, um, you know, a good man would never want me now. And here I had all these things that I could have been thinking, but instead I just want him to go to heaven. And it's just like this overwhelming, I want him to go to heaven. And I'm so in awe of this grace that when the ladies take my arms to walk down, I'm just in awe of this. And as I come near him, um, I don't know if I'm going to stop or what they'll do. Uh, I don't think about the ladies seeing him and because they're just as usual. And just as I get to him, he disappears and I walk through him. And um, I'm just in awe of this grace. And when I come out, I'm, I'm just, I don't know how to describe it, but awe. You know, we use the word awesome all the time. Oh, that's awesome. But awe is a holy word. When there is awe, like biblical kind of awe, it's so godly and profound. It comes from God. So I am in this awe and as I leave um, to go out and get dressed. Before we began that shift of volunteering in the baths, I um, did what they did and they prayed and then they kneeled down and they kissed the floor like Bernadette kisses the ground in the grotto. And it's a holy place where miracles happen. And so I kneel down to kiss the floor because that's what we did in the beginning. And when I do, I feel a whoosh. And this time it's the opposite. It's a whoosh. And my, I feel just like it's, I've been breathed in this, you know, it's been, my chest is expanded and I feel full. And this moment, my lips touch the floor and I promise Lady, I'll come back, that I will come back and help. And I'll come back with 10 good, holy Catholic American women. I don't know why I said 10. I don't know why the expression, but I did come back with 10 of them. I didn't qualify. So I was, I was number 11, but I guess. Um, so I make this promise that I'll come back. But I come home and, um, you know, I, I don't tell anyone about this right away. I only tell my husband as soon as I come home. And then I go to a priest. And then I went to a psychiatrist. And I said, I don't, I, I'm not a mystic, like out of the Bible or something. 
I'm I, maybe I'm having a nervous breakdown. <laughs> maybe I'm um, maybe there's something wrong with me. Maybe I imagine this, but I know I didn't. Um, I go to the priest and I tell him the same thing. I what I, I say to the psychiatrist, well, maybe I'm going crazy and I don't know it. And they said, well, most people that are going crazy don't ask that question. <laughs> you know, so um, that's a good sign. But at any rate, I um, I went. I, I just I knew it was real, but I. I just, I wasn't testing God. I was testing me. Is this real? So then the real test comes is, will 10 ladies go to Lourdes and volunteer there? Because I don't understand still that they're all in association of the, you know, the church or how it works to volunteer. Back then, in the early 2000s, there was no website. There was nothing in English. It was, there were only 16 Americans who were volunteering in Lourdes as members of the Hospitality Notre Dame de Lourdes, the Hospitality of Our Lady of Lourdes. So I didn't know any of this. There was no place to read it or find it. But 10 women did come. And I, remember, this is 2001. So 911 happens. September 11th comes. And, um, and then nobody's going to fly anywhere. I mean, everybody's saying, well, I'm not going to travel. I'm not going to get on a plane. I'm, and I'm from central New York. So it's really, it's our front yard that this happened down in um, Manhattan. So we're, you know, thinking, oh, I'm never going to, 10 people are never going to come. And sure enough, 10 ladies do come. We do go. They, I write to them for months in France. They don't respond. And finally they do. And it all comes together and we go. And it's a great grace. And now thousands and thousands um, have gone to Lourdes and served. And now there is a website, but it was just an extraordinary experience for so many of us. Yeah. So I guess that I maybe still a crazy, I don't know, but <laughs> the crazy, the craziness uh, somehow worked. And here we are still going to Lourdes. Wow. Now you mentioned, of course, your situation and miracles, but there's, there's been a lot of miracles. How many miracles have been reported uh, at Lourdes? That's a really good question, but I think first we have to say what is a miracle according to Lourdes and a cure because they, of course, they're, they're different things in the church, so to speak, and in our understanding as lay people, but um, on file in the sanctuary, there are over 7,800 claims of cures where people come in and said, I had a miracle, I had a cure, but the miracle word in the Catholic church that has a different and a profound, significantly different meaning than um, when we say, oh, that's a miracle. So there are different kinds of miracles, but for a physical um, cure, that would be something that they go through a process in the Catholic Church using the Lambertini criteria. So that's where someone's going to be canonized and they say, oh, they've had three people that interceded this, this um, you know, going to be saint is interceded for their miracle. So that means a cure that's taken place that is really serious can be proven. It has to be measured, meaning organic. So there has to be x-rays, blood tests, proof that the, the person had this before, they're cured of it now, that it was sudden, it was instantaneous, it was total, it was complete, and there's no explanation for it. So that's an unexplained or an inexplicable cure. And that's what the Medical Bureau proves for people that come to Lourdes and make that claim. And it's a unique place in Lourdes that has this Medical Bureau. Then it's up to the bishop to say miracle, because miracle is a holy word. As you know, they probably didn't teach you miracles in medical school. That's a holy word, not a medical word. So we're looking at cure, a medical word, and then a miracle, which is a holy word. And it's the bishop where the person lives. The bishop's responsible for all the souls in their diocese. That's the bishop that says Yes, this is from God, a miracle meaning it is from the hand of God that this unexplained cure has taken place. So there are over 7,800 cases on file in Lourdes, but that's only the people who came forward and said they had a cure. There are tens of hundreds of thousands, probably millions of people who don't even know there's a medical bureau or don't go forward. I know someone with a very serious uh, brain tumor, terminally ill, um, in, inoperable, incurable, uh, cured by Lord's Water in, um, out of the Dana-Farber Institute. And he said that he wasn't going to make a claim at Lord's. That was a gift that God gave him for his life. So there are, you know, other people who never even file a claim. Um, of the 7,800, there are 70 that their bishops have chosen to go forward and make a public proclamation that it was from God. You know, Marlene, in your book, Everyday Miracle 
miracles of Lourdes, you've got 20 stories. Yours is one of them. Um, of those 20, I, I mean, uh, they all have a little different twist in, in everything, but what, what would you say was your favorite or touched you the most? Ah, oh, you know, it's like having a favorite child, I guess. Um, I have to say, I personally know all 20 people in the book and their pictures are in there in the, at the end of their chapter because they're real people that are now and today. Um, and I really don't have a favorite. And one of the things that I, I, I favor all of them, but one of the things I love is in the different places where we've shared this book and given talks about the book, um, people will come up that have read it and there's everybody has a different favorite. There's not one that pulls ahead of all the rest and leaves everybody behind um, all of the different stories um, or it's something that they relate to. And what I love about these 20 stories is that, as you said, they're all completely different. None of them are the same. Um, they're totally unrelated. And by the way, all of these people, they're like me. I, I didn't want to write a book and be out there in public or I'm just a housewife or, you know, when I asked that each of the persons that are, you know, were going to be written about, well, you know, I, I would call and say, you know, is it agreeable to you to have your story there? And for some, I mean, it's very personal, intimate, painful stories. And um, they all said the same thing. The one thing they have in common, they're humbled by this grace. They are very humbled that this grace was given to them um, from God. And they can't hide it and not share it. But all of them say the same thing. If we say, would you be willing to speak about it? Well, I can't speak in front of people. I'm not a public speaker and neither am I. So I understand that um, they're willing to share it because it's such a great gift, but they are totally unrelated. Each one's so very different. Um, so I guess I'd ask you, you've read the book. Are there any that spoke to your heart or that came to you as yeah, you know, a favorite? I wouldn't say so much the story, a particular story, but there's a theme in several of them, which is a big part of our ministry because as Eucharistic Apostles of Divine Mercy, we <clears throat> promote the message that Divine Mercy is a way of life. It's a spirituality. And, you know, people think, well, God, I know God forgives me, but that's like the cross, the vertical beam, the horizontal beam is we have to love each other. And forgiveness is such a stumbling block to spiritual growth. And in several of the people, uh, I, I felt that they were given this tremendous grace to forgive, whether it be themselves or someone. Let's let's talk about Southern Cynthia and, uh, you know, the trials she went through and, and share share that story because that ties into forgiveness. Yeah, Cynthia, um, it's yeah, yeah. Talk about, you know, tragedies and difficulties. Um, and she she had uh, been shot at. Um, point blank range, being the the rifle was put in right touching her her abdomen, touching her gut, and um, and her ex husband uh, pulled the trigger, and you know most people with a gunshot wound like that would never live. She says the doctors told her that's why in the movies, you know, when they grab their stomachs and they fall down in these dramatic you know death scenes, uh, it's because it's true. It's it's very painful. There's a lot of blood loss, and they usually don't survive. Um, but she did, but there was tremendous um, suffering for her because uh, the open wound would never heal. 11 years later, 33 surgeries. Um, she didn't have really good use of the her legs. You know, blood flow was there. Everything was upset by this massive wound that would not close, which was continually infected. So constant, you know, IV antibiotics and treatments and surgeries. And they did, they tried to do um, skin grafts and nothing would close it. And so she uh, was watching Mother Angelica's and she was watching TV and she on EWTN and she saw, um, I was on talking about Lourdes water. And so she sent away for Lourdes water from us in our head nurse had called her and, and you know she'd been invited to lords and didn't go um and she you know so she gets the lord's water and she said she's laying in bed she's got this open wound and she's really seething because it's 11 years her husband ex-husband is about to get out of prison he was convicted of attempted um manslaughter instead of 
attempted murder because he didn't bring the shotgun with him. It was there. So they felt it was not premeditated. So he's about to get out and he'll walk around free. And she's still now she's agoraphobic in her home. And, you know, her life is ruined. She doesn't finish her doctorate degree. She was, you know, so just her whole life. And she's terrified for her two daughters and also and her. So she says to God, you know, if I didn't have to scoop out this pus every day from this wound, I wouldn't have to now, you know, settle the score with this man, would I? I wouldn't have to get rid of him. So she actually um, hires someone that she's going to take care of, take care of her husband because her ex-husband, because she just says he's going to get out and she's too, she's not going to, she's terrified of him. So she's decides she's going to make a plan. She's going to get rid of him. And um, so she's scooping it out and she takes the Lord's water and she looks at it and she's a microbiologist. And she said, you never put anything unsterilized into an open wound. It gets infected all the time. So she looks at the Lord's water and she says, you know, I'll pour it in here um because she has faith um and she says and i'll just go in the morning to the hospital and get an iv antibiotic if i have to and knowing that she will she pours it in she goes to sleep and she wakes up in the morning and it's completely closed it is healed closed overnight after 11 years and three failed skin grafts and 33 surgeries this wound overnight just heals up so you'd think that god gave her that grace of a healing that cure that she'd then say, okay, I have to forgive my husband. I don't have to scoop it out. And, you know, God, she made a bargain with God and God kept it. And, uh, but she said she was so entrenched, so consumed by this hatred and this vengeance that she couldn't let go of it. And our head nurse um, was in communication with her about the Lord's water. She's telling her about the cure and how her skin is great. She goes, well, that's it. I don't need to go to Lord's. I got this. But the head nurse knows that she's still very broken inside because the soul's more important than the body. And she knows she's still seething, you know, hates her husband and, you know, ex-husband. So in the end, ultimately, she feels she got Catholic guilt and she said into coming and because the wound is healed. So she's still in a wheelchair. She doesn't have good use of her legs, um, you know, for long distance, you know, walking or standing. And so she goes to Lord, she goes in the baths and she has this complete healing where she forgives her hus ex-husband. She now sees him as the father of her children and that she wants him to go to heaven. And she wants the father of her children to go to heaven. And she wants, you know, for him to have um, holiness in his life. And that is so profound. In fact, when she goes to the medical bureau to file the claim, for the healing of the open wound, the medical director says, this forgiveness you have, this is much more profound than uh, than any, any physical healing, I think, because it's the soul. But that's just his personal uh, comment that he made to her. And I was there when he said that, that he just personally, he just saw that is so profound. And as you said, this, in, you know, in divine mercy, forgiveness and um, you know, that's why they say, thanks be to God. God's mercy is so much greater than our human mercy because often we limit it. So it changed her life completely. She, of course, left the baths, um, having this great grace of forgiveness. She goes right down to the confessionals, which are, um, you come out of the baths, go through the grotto, say a prayer. You go down to the confessionals are right there on the left. And she sees the priest and she tells him that she, you know, had this vengeance. She had a plan. She was going to um, you know, have her husband knocked off and um, she, it's very serious to make that kind of a vengeful plan. And um, she's crying with forgiveness and, and asks for God's mercy and he gives it to her and it changed her life completely. I mean, she looked like a different person. She, it was like night and day. It really was. It was just extraordinary. So that's a, an amazing, incredible unbelievable but true really true real story of cynthia you know saint faustina wrote in her diary that we resemble god most when we forgive our neighbor and mm -hmm. uh, now many people find it difficult to forgive others um, many people find it difficult to forgive themselves and, and uh, your story about the scottish sheena uh, came to my mind and, and share that story with us because that's I think so many people think 
God loves them. He's a merciful God, but he's never, he's not for me. He's not merciful to me. And uh, tell us the story of Sheena. I think you bring up a really good point there that it's easier to forgive someone else than it is to forgive ourselves. And we don't even realize our judgment of ourselves is so severe. Um, and we all fall to it um, often. And that's why God's endless mercy is so much greater than ours. Um, and we're so blessed by that. For Sheena, um, she grew up not Catholic, not Christian, not anything, no religion at all. Um, and she grew up during the troubled times in Scotland and over in Europe, where um, there actually was discrimination um, and a lot of mockery of Catholicism. And so um, growing up in Scotland, you know, she said it's um, just part of what was happening in her life and she didn't know any better or any different. Um, so she said when abortion became legal, uh, when the queen signed it into law and over in the United Kingdom, the, a lot of people who were not Christians saw that as a solution, not a problem. Um, and even religions would, uh, you know, she at one point spoke to a, um, a minister and he said, oh, that's a medical issue. It's not a, you know, it became this debate that happened theologically. So if we look back to a lot of women, we still need to pray for a lot of women who had abortions in the 60s and 70s because there was so much confusion. It was a clump of cells or, you know, and it was a debate that happened outside of families for most part. So when Sheena was pregnant at 15, um, she didn't have any foundation to build on or any knowledge of, she just knew instinctively, she said, that, you know, clutching her gut, you know, her putting her arms around her, her abdomen, she'll say, I just knew there was a baby and it was real. And I just had this motherly instinct to protect it, even though she was only 15. And, and, and again, religion wasn't an issue for them. This wasn't a problem of, of abortion. So she um, said, but I still didn't want that. And her mother drags her literally kicking and screaming to get the abortion. Um, and in Scotland, the parent has the right because she was a minor underage. It was not any choice of Sheena's. She had no legal right herself, nor did her baby. That was her parent's choice. And she said when she realized where they were taking her, she refused to get out of the car. And Sheena's very soft-spoken, sweet, and she, she was never a problem at school or to her parents or to anyone, but she said she resisted this, and it was so unlike her. Her mother grabbed her by the hair, and as she did her beautiful curls, she said she saw them all drop onto the sidewalk because her mother was literally pulling the hair out of her head to get her out of the car, and so she went in and had this abortion, and she said she didn't know how to explain it. She was sent away to her grandmother's to recover with an infection. She was hidden in a secret, um, which adds to the shame. She had no one to talk to about it, but she said she left there feeling there was a gaping hole inside of her that was invisible that only she knew about and only she could feel and see. She did go on a few years later to get married at 19 to a United States Marine, and they had a wonderful life. They they do go on to have seven living children. She does have three other miscarriages. At first, she thinks the first two miscarriages um, that happened in the first year of her marriage, that's God punishing her. She doesn't know anything about God, but the only thing she's heard is that he's this uh, punitive, omnipotent punisher. And so she says, well, that's, that, that's it. She's going to be punished and never have any babies. Well, she does go on to have seven, and then she does have another miscarriage in the end. And she says she feels for all those children, but the one that was taken when she's 15 um, so brutally, she just can never recover from that. Her mother-in-law's dying wish is that um, her husband, Sheena's husband, will go back to the Catholic Church. And so as much as Sheena does not want that and doesn't like that and grew up with this discrimination, um, in fact, when she went to get married, her father made sure that the um, the fallen away Catholic was never going to return to the church. And he said, oh, no, he doesn't go. Well, it's his mom's dying wish. So her mother-in-law asked this. So Sheena, um, you know, feels obliged to go meet with a Catholic priest. And she does. And she says, you know, all of those years, everything I thought was so horrible behind the doors of the Catholic church. She said, I walked inside and it was like for the first time, everything was alive and 
and whole and right. It was just so beautiful. Everything she'd been searching for in her life was right across the street behind the doors and she just didn't know it. So she winds up entering the church, bringing her five children in with her. And then she's so excited because she has two more babies who are cradle Catholics, her two youngest. Um, but she does go to confession, of course, and makes her first Holy Communion and is baptized. And she knows that the abortion is not a sin for her. It was not her choice. And she was not a Catholic. But she says, I understand that intellectually, she said, but there's still this big hole in me and it doesn't go away. Um, the wound is still there. She knows that it's healed, but it's still a, a hole. It's still left behind. Uh, it's not until she goes to Lourdes to volunteer and she comes and helps. And there's a beautiful story of how that happens. And she says, you know, we, we would have our arms in the Lord's water, helping women in and out all day, but we'd be wetter than I think they were most of the time. But um, it's not until you go in yourself and it, the water can be really cold. She said she went in there not expecting anything in particular for herself, but she went into the baths and she said, a liquid grace filled that hole in that instant. It just happened. And then she became totally whole for the first time uh, since she was 15 years old. And so as she was telling me about that at the time, she was crying um, and we were having tea and she was telling me all about this and um, how is this possible? Why is this happening? What is this grace? And she returns home to her parish and her parish priest writes a letter to me and um, because I'd met him and he writes a letter and he gives a you know, significant gift. He said, I would like to send another woman to go to Lourdes. He said, we sent a dimmed light um, to Lourdes and she returned to illuminate our parish. Yeah. It was so profound. This healing in her was so significant. Again, she's not telling anybody about it. They just can see this extraordinary change in her, but they don't really know what it is. And when I asked her these uh, years later about um, a few years later about being in the book, she says, oh, my, I need to I need to call my children for adult children. They're now adults and tell them her story and ask if they would be agreeable for it to be in the book. Um, and they did. And she um, she did go to Scotland. We went to speak on, on the tour with the book. And um, some people had invited us there. You could hear a pin drop when she spoke. They were just stunned by her story and her beautiful, humble healing and the grace. And it was just so profound. And again, it was forgiving herself and her mother. And she does. Um, and she said that was really a great grace because she loved and cared for her mother um, who's died recently. And it, that's just another beautiful grace that comes from that wholeness. Another miracle. Marlene, I'd like to talk about one more miracle, but before we do that, in your book, Everyday Miracles of Lords, um, you have 20 incredible stories. How, how could people reach you if they have been to Lords or want more information on how to become a volunteer at Lords? Do you have a website, you said? Well, thank you for asking that. So um, we do bring the very sick to Lourdes. So that means people on ventilators, um, people on oxygen, kidney dialysis, um, people who are unwell and wounded inside, you know, just all different kinds of needs. So we need all different kinds of volunteers. We need good doctors like you. We need um, nurses. We need physical therapists, respiratory therapists, but we need lay people like like, you know, better than me who can come and help because we have to do all the dining services, all the housekeeping, because we stay just across from the grotto inside the sanctuary. So we're always looking for volunteers who are willing to come and help push people in a wheelchair, feed the people who are unable to feed themselves, or to come and serve the dining room food, um, help in the housekeeping. So we need every kind of talent. We need people at the airports, people who maybe don't fly and don't travel, who can come and help us in the airport to get onto the aircraft and to make our way over and to welcome us when we come back. So we need every kind of help. We have teenagers that come in in, this, in June. We have university students who come in the spring and the fall. So every age, we had one woman who said, oh dear, I'm too old. Uh, well, she was 84. She came with us with a woman who was 90. Um, she was 86, actually, the woman was 94. And that 94-year-old had been away from the church since she got married for 70 years. And here and along comes this woman her own age. And together they share these two widows 
And this woman returns back to the sacraments after 66 years. I mean, incredible. So nobody's too young. Nobody's too old. Nobody's, everybody has a gift and a grace to bring. Some people come and, and, and are there as our prayer anchors. So please go to our website. It's www.lordsvolunteers. So that's L-O-U-R-D-E-S volunteers.org. Or you can call us for somebody who doesn't use the internet as much. It's 315 476 0026. So it's Lord's Volunteers. Or if you'd like us to come and, you know, share the grace of Lord's, we have virtual pilgrimage where we bring the grotto rocks, we bring the Lord's water, we bring the message of Lord's to your parish, your school, university, your conference, your women's group, you know, prisons, you know, they can't go to Lord's for sure. So um, we bring grace of Lord's to those who won't be going. So thanks for asking that because um, there really is, especially with the book, a way now for people to realize that there's different kinds of healings that take place and they're all profound. And we'd like to share that with anybody who needs that hope or healing. And I'll put that web address and the um, phone number in the blog summary as well for people. So in case you missed it, um, let, let's wrap up one story that seems so simple and yet it touched my heart was joyful. Jamie uh, mm -hmm. quadriplegic and, you know, we take our health for granted until it starts to go. And people like that can't do simple things that we just take for granted. Share with us about Joyful Jamie, if you would. Yeah. So if anybody saw um, Lords on CBS um, last year, that would have been in, so it's be 2022 in December. Um, they chose around December 8th. Um, so they were there, we were helping them with the filming and they filmed Jamie because they had read the advanced copy of the book. And, um, Jamie came to us, and most people can't imagine it. That everybody who knows Jamie does just can't figure it out. But he was bitter when he came with us. He was bitter and angry. He's born with cerebral palsy. He was not born with a bitter disposition. Uh, he was joyful, but as he got older and became an adult, no longer was going to school every day. He was living really confined in institutional housing and um, just kind of bitter and angry that he's not moving on with his life. He can't use his limbs. He's confined to a wheelchair. Um, he can use um, two fingers on his on his hand to push a motorized wheelchair around, you know, the little, they have that little button there on the side there. So a little toggle, but um, he lives a pretty confined and, um, and dull life. And he's mad at God for it, basically. Um, and he winds up in a, a great grace coming with us at the request of his sister and who's a bishop who's now, archbishop who's now a cardinal. And so he winds up coming with us and he goes into the grotto and he's in this deep immersed in the prayer and he returns to the sacraments of his childhood. He returns to the Catholic church and um, he just finds great joy and everybody finds great joy in him. And he really does some amazing things for us as a volunteer, um, things that other people who have physical body ability can't do. Jamie seems to manage um, from the confinement of his wheelchair. So, uh, and some of our really extraordinary, but uh, he winds up, uh, Jamie at one point early on in coming with us and he has a, a sponsor who's who so loves him. They say, you know, I will pay every year for Jamie to go. And Jamie says, it's like filling up the gas in his tank to get through another year. Um, he fills it with grace at Lawrence and brings it back home with him. Um, and at one point, you know, we're always together. You know, the first thing that Bernadette and Our Lady do when they meet each other in the grotto at the beginning and the end of every apparition and throughout the apparitions as they make the sign of the cross. Um, and they do this, um, beautifully. It's Bernadette says later in her life, it's um, if we know this one prayer well, we can go to heaven. And it's really its own prayer. We think of it as the thing we do at the beginning and the end of prayer or before grace, when we go into a church, when an ambulance goes by. But if we think about it, it's like a shield. It's really, it's calling on the blessed Trinity. You know, we're calling on the three persons in one God. And as we were, um, Jamie was up front, he was going to speak. We were talking and he whispers to me that, um, if he could move his arms just once, you know, what he would do. And I think of the things like, what would he do? He can't scratch an itch. He can't touch someone's face. He can't, um, you know, caress someone. There's so many things you would think that you would do if you could move your arm just once. Um, and I didn't realize what he was going to say. And he said, I would make the sign of the cross. Yeah. He just so wanted to make the sign of the cross. 
and um, on his own, not just with someone helping him, even if they could get his arms to move um, in the motion of the cross. And I cried, uh, you know, just thought we just so take for granted. And when we do it, it doesn't even look like a cross. Lots of times it looks like eternity where I'm going to say this, but sloppy. And, um, you know, here we have this great opportunity to make this beautiful prayer and um, here's somebody who wants to so much. And not just Jamie, as he points out, we've had in the Pacines, I, I've been there myself, where women have come in trembling, terrified, the whisper close to my ear, help me make the sign of the cross. They want to do it, but they don't want anybody to hear or see it. And in the secrecy and the confidentiality and the, and the you know, it, it's such a beautiful experience inside the Pacines um, and the confidence there of Our Lady and God that they can make the sign of the cross without fear. And um, so terrified to do that. We've had this experience come in. We've had people of, of different faiths, no faith, that want to make this beautiful prayer. So Jamie, of course, now every time we see him and when we're with him, we make the sign of the cross over him, always for him. Um, but that beautiful and profound experience when he speaks about the Blessed Trinity and he speaks about the sign of the cross and how profound it is. And a lot of people make the sign of the cross when they go home after being with Jamie for a week and helping him. Um, he usually comes in the fall now. Um, they go home and make the sign of the cross for him every day, wherever they are. Um, and parishes have adopted that. So um, you'll make the sign of the cross for someone who doesn't know it, someone who doesn't know um, how to do it well, uh, or someone who needs that grace, the blessed Trinity in their life. And, you know, it's Jamie's joy that um, there's, I wish we had more time because there's so many funny stories and just they're heartwarming of the things that Jamie does um, in the confinement of, of uh, his abilities of his body and the limitations that he has that are just such an extraordinary grace for him and for so many others. Well, that's a beautiful story, just like all 20 that are in your book, Everyday Miracles of Lords. Marlene, I want to thank you for joining me today on Mercy Unbound, and uh, hopefully we can get you back another time and share more, and the time just flew by. But um, people, I hope you enjoyed the show. Please share, please subscribe. Um, never, never underestimate the mercy of God in this Jesus's love for his mother, and uh Marlene, again, thank you so much, and uh, we'll have to stay in touch for sure. We will. Thank you so much. God bless. God bless. Thank you. Please subscribe to our YouTube channel for the video portion. The podcast can be heard at anchor.fm slash drbryan, B-R-Y-A-N, Thatcher, T-H-A-T-C-H-E-R, and on all the major podcast forums. I would love to speak at your church or conference, and please consider support in our efforts to spread the truth to a hurting world. Thank you again. And for more information, go to the website at drbryanthatcher.com.